Hello, and welcome to Bridal Cry Ministries. We are your hosts. I am Daniel Master Leonardo with my co-host here, Matthew Enns, and we are in part three of four types of Christians. What began as a quick 60-second post on Instagram turned into kind of a viral post um, that uh, led us into creating just some support because it brought a lot of contention, I would say, within the body of Christ between whether or not this is legitimate or if we're just out of our minds here. And what I thought we could cover in an hour has turned into now this third episode, but we believe this is the final episode. So if you missed them, part one, we talked about the five misconceptions about the four Christians, which was prevalent in the comment section of that post. Speaking of which, I should probably show you that post, which we're going to do right now. There are four types of Christian, the cultural Christian, the carnal Christian, the religious Christian, and the spiritual Christian. Now, cultural Christians aren't actually Christians. They're just people that have taken on that name, but are truly just part of the culture. The second is carnal Christian. Carnal Christians have truly encountered the Lord and they've received salvation, but they're driven by the desires and lusts of their flesh. Jesus is their savior, but he's not their Lord. Then you have religious Christians. Now, these are Christians that are ruled more by their self-righteousness than they are by Jesus. They're driven to do good works out of obligation and ritual more so than they are by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then you have the spiritual Christian. These are Christians that are truly led and governed by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes they'll very much upset the religious Christians because they'll go outside of what the religious Christian believes is the right or wrong things to do because they are being governed by the Holy Spirit, which does not always play friendly with our rules. Okay, so yep, we covered the five, Christ, uh, five misconceptions of the four types of Christians in part one. That video will be in the notes below. Uh, the second video, we thought we were going to cover it all, but we only got through uh, the first two, which was cultural Christian and carnal Christian. Um, and now we are here in this final installment where we're going to talk about the difference between a religious Christian and a spiritual Christian. Um, we're very excited. Uh, if you have been enjoying this content, we would encourage you to like and subscribe to Follow us. Um, also, if you want to support this ministry and help us with post-production and just the time that we devote to this, you can join us on Patreon or just give directly on our website. We do greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, the divide between religious and spiritual. This one, um, while carnal and cultural definitely got heated, um, I, I, there's something... There's something heavy about this conversation, I believe. And I think it's because the religious Christian is a very devious deception of the enemy. Um, because I would say externally, the religious and the spiritual Christian look identical. Um, and I think that's the danger of it. And so having conversations about it, are really hard because it's offensive and it's, it's really hard to expose and reveal this difference. And it really takes the revelation of Jesus Christ to each indiv specific individual to expose which camp, if you will, you're in Matt, before we dive in any, any kind of just, yeah, you know, yeah. I was thinking in, uh, in advance of this topic, just my own journey with trying to figure out what what concrete discernment tools can be used for what Tozer's describing. And I realized, you know, I initially came into the 
understanding simply from seeing in scripture there was this constant refrain of flesh and spirit and then i was noting with that that they would speak to christians and refer to christians as being in the flesh and that was a very big uh whoa, kind of moment to just be like i need to dig into this more and uh digging into this more you know i was on the book buying path a ton at that time and so i went out trying to find any kind of material that could help me understand flesh versus spirit what's paul talking about what do, why do the scriptures use this phrasing and i found very little I found very little of specific books written specifically on the topic of flesh and spirit. So then it's become a topic that probably doesn't have as much um, airtime in our culture and in our journey as churchgoers and sermon listeners and Bible study people. And I think that's part of why we want to make sure we cover this one well is because this is a very scriptural topic. I know we covered it a bunch on the last one. Um, but in the end, when we're talking about the idea of being a religious uh, Christian, Christian versus uh, a spirit, spirit-oriented, spiritual Christian, this is going to create so much need for discernment and clarifying but I think we're going to say at the end, aren't we, Dan? Only Christ can be the best Christian. Yes. yes. The spiritual Christian. Only Christ can be. And so we're going to end up basically concluding it's going to be Christ and Christ alone and that abiding quality that's going to produce that which is actually the genuine thing. And I think we're also going to probably point out we're all on this spectrum journey away from religiousness and into this is just Christ in me, but we really do need to get into the weeds of it. We do. Yeah. Yeah. I've said it in one of the previous videos or if not both, um, because one of the comments was what you're, you're clearly the spiritual Christian and people were, were kind of antagonistic about that, which I never claimed by the way it's, there's a pursuit. This Christian journey is a pursuit of Christ and any given day, the four types, if you will, are present within me and I'm wrestling and all of us, and we're wrestling through all of them to come to the truth. There's a fantastic book that I do highly recommend. I'll link it even in the description um, called the spiritual journey by Michael Molinos. This is a 1600th book. It was banned by the, the, the papal, um, uh, censorship board. And so it's even got a little list at the bottom that says anyone found in possession of this will be excommunicated by papal degree. So, you know, it's good. <laughs> it really is. It reads like a devotional. There's 31 chapters or small little things. It's one of the most profound um, devotionals that I have found in really dividing spirit and, and, and soul and um, getting to the heart of Christ and just communion with him. Anyway, I bring that up because, so in this book, one of the things it talks about is that the hardest thing that we can do in our pursuit of Christ is to gather the scattered parts within us and present them all to Christ and surrender them all to say, God, I'm pursuing you. And that really is so much of like inner healing and all these different things. Like when we're truly alone with God, 
before him, we are exposed. There's no hiding. And you very quickly begin to realize, as a believing Christian, how much unbelief and unresignation you have in your heart as a following believer that needs to come into submission to Christ. And I would say that's the most eye-opening part of this whole journey when Christ revealed the inward way and his eternal purpose, probably to Matt and I, is that I was appalled by how much in my own heart was unyielded, unsurrendered, unbelieving, and deeply scattered. And, and, and so it's not that we ever find that perfection, if you will, but as we go into this inward, upward call into Christ and divide between soul and spirit, divide between religious and spiritual, we gather those inward parts and we really just offer them to the Lord saying, God, you need to make sense of this because it's impossible for the Christian to live the Christian life. Only Christ can. And it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Paul, Galatians, right? And so, so yes, so that is, that is the, the burden and I want to, before we get into the scriptures, we're just going to share, really, all we have for these two are just a, a list of scriptures that are going to spark some conversations. I would say a huge paradigm, and Matt already alluded to it, <clears throat> a huge paradigm that shifted my understanding of, even as I read scripture and what's really going on, is that the Old Testament and the New Testament was written to Yahweh, Yeshua, following people. Every letter all 66 books are written to a faith community, not unbelievers. Every letter was written to Old Testament Jews who followed the Torah and did all the rituals and New Testament believers that believed in Yeshua as the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and were following him. And yet, Almost every single letter, with the exception of some historical accounts and, and whatever, are corrective, meaning that we're getting it wrong, and it's trying to restore the proper way to relate to God and Christ. That was very eye-opening, because I realized, oh, just because I was saved and I believed does not mean that it's one and done. There is a tremendous amount of work. There's a tremendous amount of deception that we need to guard ourselves from, from misconstruing things, and the scriptures really help reveal Christ. Old and New Testament help reveal Christ, and that's what we're trying to discover. And the problem with the religious Christian, which we're going to get into right now, so we have cultural, we have carnal. If you missed those, check out the second video. Now we're getting into religious Christian. <clears throat> and the religious Christian would be characterized by someone that performs all of the religious ritual, Old Testament and New Testament, faithful. I go to, I go to church on Sunday. I go to Bible studies, maybe. Maybe you're a passionate evangelist. Maybe you're big into theology. Or maybe you just like to pray and you go to, you know, whatever it might be. It's just someone that does the external works. It's part of the culture. And yet their heart has not been truly surrendered and yielded to Christ, and they're not being led by the Spirit, and they're, I want to say, deceived and or, Matt, perhaps you can help with a, a better word, they're unaware of the true condition of their spirit, because they're not 
And I would just say they're not spending time in the presence of God. They're working for him, but they're not abiding in him. And I'm going to say that again, because I think that's probably the best decision. Religious Christians are those who are working for Christ, but not abiding in Christ. And I think that's what we're going to see is the common thread between these scriptures we're going to share. Matt, why don't you just share your thoughts and or kick it off with the first scripture there? I think it's helpful to kind of see the, like your, your point there is the, the principle we're going to kind of keep, keep coming back to, right? But like take carnal Christian versus religious Christian, right? We're, we're talking, you know, once I, once I establish my relationship with Christ through forgiveness of my sins and, and, uh, I come into a saving knowledge of him, personal relationship with him. Uh, I can still walk in my sinfulness. I can be a flesh-y Christian. I can be a sinning Christian. I can be a fairly unrepentant Christian. You know, that's carnal Christian. Flesh is the word for carne, you know, carne asada. Like the whole idea is it's a, it's a <laughs> body. Yeah, yeah, that's the word, right? <laughs> so it's a it's a outer outer nature based Christian, but the carnal Christian is leaning especially toward the, the license of sin. And what we're just saying in what Tozer is saying and what is being said here is then the, the religious Christian is still a Christian, but the ditch that they have fallen into is okay. Well, I, I don't want to be a big sinner and I don't want to give myself over to my vices. Um, but it's the journey of learning what it means to walk not in self-righteousness, but in the true righteousness of Christ. And, but still wanting to be someone who will be righteous. And that's, I think that's the, that's the, that's the defining discerning point. And it's like, well, of course, I don't want to, I, I want to get away from sin. I want to. And then to have someone come along on this video and say, well, you're not doing it right. It's fairly debilitating because well, I don't want to be a sinner. Well, good, you know, but the, the point of what's being said here is um, everything that Paul wrote in Romans about uh, leading up to the climax of chapter eight is there's a life that the Jews had that was religious and followed the works. And Romans two speaks very clearly to the fact that people can become good doers, <laughs> but their nature, their nature didn't change. And their nature is not lining up with the change that God did. Now he's speaking to the Romans. So then the life of the spirit comes and says, if you walk by the spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Your nature will have changed and you will naturally stop sitting and you'll transmit or trans, you know, transfer from uh, a sinner's life and you won't be religious. You'll be in the spirit. So as we're discussing what it means to be religious, um, it's real. It's real. I feel like it's not just, it's not just something to make it feel like there's another class of Christian and some people really got it. And some people really didn't got it. And, and, uh, all that elitism and arrogant junk. That's not why the topic needs to come up. The topic needs to come up because the Bible wrote about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's, uh, let's look at some of these passages or whatever else we have there, Dan. So Isaiah 29, 
The Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. So, this people are drawing near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So, try to keep going what I was saying just a moment ago. Um, there's nothing wrong with my mouth speaking the words of God. There's nothing wrong with my mouth honoring God, my lips honoring God. And if I'm honest, even my heart, you know, can can absolutely uh, be in a, a pretty good spot. What we're trying to say with what the religious Christian is, is there is a place in my heart that will do works for God. And if we are able to do one thing with this particular video, and that would be to differentiate between doing things with God and in Christ versus purely for God, well-intentioned Christian service is filled with this. Right? Is in well-intentioned Christian service, we're attempting to lead people in services, uh, activities, rituals, works. And what the heart that God's after, the first place of the first heart, is this uh, humility that has received grace. Yeah, that's good. And when the heart is postured with the humility that's available to us in Christ Jesus, and is walking in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, then that heart posture will also produce words that honor God and will produce Christian works. But there's no way we can look at 2,000 years of Christian spread and say that what we have, what we have over history, what we have across the spectrum of what we have, is somehow all pleasing to God simply because it honors him by lips. Is that fair to say? Is that sure. a fair critique? Yeah. Yeah. You'll hear this in the biblical um, counseling community, the difference between behavior modification and heart transformation. And the whole goal of biblical counseling is heart transformation, not behavior modification. And that's really what Isaiah is hitting at is it's like, look, you honor me with your lips, but it's because you were taught this. You were taught to do this. And again, you're not coming in to my presence. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament and um, I, I have found that the prophets are bonanzas crazy in how many visions and they're very hard to understand. You have to do a lot of research to figure out what all the illusions are referring to and what they represent. But then you have Jeremiah and he's just straightforward. <laughs> I love the book of Jeremiah because it's one of the more straightforward ones, but it's also but I don't know how we can read this and not severely weep and question and fear and tremble at God's word saying, Holy cow, God, do I even know you? But I need to, I need to read this. I need to read this. Um, because at the end of the day, I think if, if you can understand that this is talking to you, and this is talking to us. And this is the fear of like this, this can bring us into the transformation, not modification, but the transformation that we're looking for. I'm not going to read all of it because it's a lot, but in, in Jeremiah 23, um, 
I'm going to go from, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but it's essentially nine through 24, but I'm, I'm just going to pick some things out of here. He says, as for the prophets, my heart is broken within me. So I want you guys to hear this because I used to think in the new Testament, when Jesus was always beating up the Pharisees, I was like, Jesus is angry, man. Like these Pharisees are screwing up and he's angry. And yet, um, God shared with me back in 2019 that his heart, it was anguish, not anger in his heart. And he wanted me to switch because he had to get me out of cynicism because I was very cynical, very, oh, I got it right. And the church got it wrong. And uh, it was very cynical in my heart. And that's a, that was a deception from the enemy to keep me away from God's heart, honestly. And, um, but here we see my heart is broken within me. All of my bones tremble and I have become like a drunken man because of God and because of the Lord and his holy word for the land is full of adulterers. This is him talking about uh, Israel in their most prosperous time. Like they were very prosperous right now and they're attributing it to their wonderful worship. They're thinking everything's good. God is blessing us because they had a total worldview of blessing and curses. And all their prophets were saying, look, we're being blessed because we're doing the right thing. God is, we're the favored ones of God. This is a church community. Look how prosperous America is. Look how the church is growing. We got the right theology. We got the, everything is good. And yet God's and Jeremiah's hearts in anguish, their bones, he's saying, are broken within me. So you feel this just burden. And he goes, why? Because you're adulterers for both prophet and priest are polluted. And this is what we're talking about. They became religious. They're not carnal cult. I mean, maybe some of them were, because there's definitely issues if you read into the, what's going on. And there was adultery. They were getting into all different types of other worship, but their hearts were deeply divided. <clears throat> and they keep saying, they speak a vision from their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying, the wrong things. They're not hearing from God, but they're teaching for the commandments of men. They're moving forward. And this is what hit me. Verse 18, who has stood in the counsel of Yahweh that he should hear his, see and hear his word, who has given heed to his word and listen. And again, you see all these prophets doing the wrong thing and God's condemning them for it. And, you know, and he's, sending Jeremiah and he's doing all these things to try to woo them back and they're not coming back. That's the, and I think that's the hard part about religion. I'm indebted to um, Michael Jones of the inspiring philosophy podcast. He doesn't know me. I don't know him, but I came across his study on Job. It was the most provocative. And in my opinion, um, like illuminated understanding of what was like a, a piece of what was going on with Job and his argument, which I've never heard before. His argument was the story of Job isn't teaching us about the, the problem of pain and, and what do we do with suffering, and it's, although there's lessons we glean from that. He goes, what you see is that Job was righteous and he had a good heart, but my goodness, he was also very religious. And it wasn't until the end of the book that God had to shatter his paradigms and he actually confronted God and changed. And so what you see here is that what does it take for a carnal person, a carnal Christian, carnal believer what does it take for a carnal Christian to come to grace? Most of the time, a slight glance in the presence of God. A word from Jesus, repentance in the New Testament, immediate repentance, a healing, boom, on their faces before God in dust and ashes, 
please, if you can do anything with this life, have your way with me. What does it take for a religious Christian to come to Christ? Job. I can't tell you how much that word shattered me. Um, the last thing I'll say, Matt, and you're going to hop yeah, into that. You, you finished, but I, yeah, it's, I got to. So here's what Jesus says. Or I'm sorry, this is what God says through Jeremiah. So they're not repenting when Jeremiah is saying them, like the only prophet saying, hey, you're going to be taken over by Babylon. They're not repenting over, um, many of them don't repent when the actual judgment comes. But what would cause them to repent? And this is what blew my mind the other day. Verse 22, if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have t- turned them back from their evil way and from the deeds and from the evil of their deeds. You guys, in the Old Testament, God is saying, John 17, unity and oneness. If you stood in my presence, which is what the prophets and priests were supposed to do. That's why we had the temple. They were supposed to go into his presence and commune with him, and they weren't. This is what we're saying. They were not, they were doing the ritual. They were not inwardly communing. And God's saying, prophet and priest, if you just stood in my presence, you would see the error of your way and repent, but you don't. And you kill my prophets and you lead the people astray. And then later you see that the people start getting wise and they start pushing against the prophet and priest saying, that's not of the Lord. So it's like, come on pastors i'm talking to you stop with the religious business machine and get in the presence of god and stop focusing so much on just your sermons and your attention get into the presence of god and give people christ anyway okay <laughs> sorry a little heated there um Go for it, Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's a good set of words there. Very important. You know, I was just getting ready to say before you brought out the Job principle there. <clears throat> um, the the way you can test which heart is in play in me, the way you can test your heart, is when when I'm religious and God takes away my religion. I feel lost. I feel uh, adrift. I feel like God doesn't like me. I feel like something's wrong. I feel like I'm wrong. That's so huge. So huge. Yeah. But when I'm in the spirit and God takes away my works, takes away my my identity as a minister, takes away my uh, assets that I have of spirit or life or assets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The spiritual Christian is that Job 42 person. They have come to see God as sufficient. And even if they don't do a work for him, they are still content in him. Whereas a religious Christian only feels validation because of their works. Yes. And when those get taken away, the validation's gone. Satan must be attacking me. And, 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 and uh, the language is along those lines. Yeah, I think I mentioned that in the last uh, video, part two. Um, I or not, may, oh, it might have been part one actually, um, where many Christians, again, believing Christians, have a foundation of fear versus faith, 
and the the fear the way that you protect yourself and secure yourself is through religious activity and denominational allegiances and everything's buttoned up and i have security in all of these things and then god will start poking and so this is why i think people are really um have a lot of animosity towards people of different denominational camps because that's their safeguard because i have this this is the foundation of truth anyone that disagrees with me or if anyone tries to prove me wrong i get vicious why because if i don't have this then i lose myself like that i'm wrong and what else is wrong it, it's scary it's not built on it's it's not built on faith and um is it is it story time dan go for it which which the reason it's story time is because if this becomes uh in any way for Dan and I to be talking like this and make it seem like we're immune or have, uh, have no, uh, do we got some personal stories yeah, for you? Yeah. Like, and that's, that's just it. Right. Like that's my 2007 story Yeah, was, uh, you know, I, the, the quantity of effort that I was engaging in for God was immense and I was doing it in his name and I was using but I'm doing this for God and I would be interviewing people for my golden life. And they started pushing back against me and, 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 and I would say, well, but I'm doing this for God. Mm -hmm. And yet my heart, if you had asked me was very close to God. I was actually still in the scriptures and those kinds of practices, which ended up being a saving grace. Um, but I didn't realize that what, what I had been building and what I had been building on was really just, um, it was self-serving and I didn't realize how self-serving it was. I didn't realize how self-serving it had become and yeah. in that self-service that I was doing for God, that was religiousness completely. And so what God was doing at that time, and I didn't quite have the intelligence to see it, was he was stripping me away. <clears throat> he was bringing me into the job. And the final straw came when I was so stubborn that I was absolutely walking in the right path with God and I just needed to keep at it that I had turned down a half decent paying job for my economic strata at the time and ended up in a taxi cab in a small city where there wasn't enough work and I was working 12 hours a day in a taxi cab, six days a week, making around $40 a day. Nice. <laughs> a little slice of humble pie for you. <laughs> and, and yet I was not humbled. Yeah. I was not humbled because I was so sure that my cause was just that my works were validated that i had the assurance of god and if you had asked me like matt search your heart are you following the lord mm -hmm. oh yeah total peace man namaste <laughs> and, and i was being i was being brought and actually that's what brought the confrontation that rescued me was i had a lawyer friend of mine just ask, like, not ask, just tell me, like, man, I think you're wrecking your life. And, uh, and I was in this utter Buddhist peace moment as he tirated against me, which of course assured me that I was in the right spot. And I drove away from that, that confrontation 
kind of feeling bad for him. And then I sat in my car and I sat in my car and I said, well, God, these people seem to think that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing for you. But I'll just ask anyway, what do you think I should do? And, and that was when I had this incredible moment of dynamic peace and he brought me the fork in the road and there was this utter illumination to the religiousness that I was walking in. I didn't have that word at the moment. But then again, the fork of the road offered me a path that would ultimately lead me to understand the difference between outer flesh, religious life, and the Christ life. And, uh, and, and, but it, if you had asked me, I, I had the right feelings, I had the right words, I had the right scriptures, I had some, you know, my efforts had produced some fruit, so I had fruit on my tree, you know, I was completely inarguable against and it was only when I asked God, you tell me what you think about where I'm at. You know, and if, I, if we're honest at this point, this is a great, great point to throw that question out is, you know, in the end, it's God who discerns. It's God who cuts and divides and asking him, well, God, Dan and Matt have been talking about this. Maybe that's a good question to ask. Hey, God, maybe tell me where, you know. What do you think about where I'm at? Search my heart, O oh God, and show me if there's any hurtful or deceitful way within me. I asked this a couple of weeks ago. I was surprised by his response. I'll just say that. I was surprised by his response because when we're feeling good, we want to just assume everything's good. And when you actually humble yourself and say, God, truly, even now when I'm feeling rich and blessed and on the right path, show me what else is not there that I'm blind to. What is it about us that we need so much affirmation instead of feeling secure in correction? What is it about us that our security comes from being affirmed rather than corrected? Again, I want to go back to, I think it's fear. I think our foundation is so much built on fear. And so as soon, and we're insecure because of it, because we're covering ourselves with fig leaves hear this because we're still we're still eating from the tree of knowledge and good and evil and we're covering ourselves with fig leaves still this is a revelation that god showed me in 2019 and it blew my mind we're still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we're not on the life of christ and god's heart's broken he did say that he was gathering in my heart at least like i believe this is what god is doing and that's why we're passionate about this and you know we're going to be you're going to hear a lot of language like this this is a forerunner ministry we're trying to prepare the way to make straight the ways of the lord because we believe he's coming back soon we're going to talk about all of that in another episode about why we're convinced of these things um and one of them is just anecdotal but just in my own time with god he has spoken in my heart i'm not saying i hear audible voices but in the still quiet voice, when I have truly been in his presence, there was a very monumental to stay in 2019. I haven't had it a day like this, honestly, since almost. This is a very, but yeah, it was this time where he said, we're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the nations need to hear that his heart is in anguish and he is angry in his jealousy for us to return to him our first love because we have wandered. And that was in my heart. And then I just see it in scripture and knowing, believing that we are in the end times and we are getting close to his return. We know that this is the condition of the church. 
in the last days, love of many will grow cold. I think he's talking about the church. You guys, if our love has grown cold, we're not in his presence and we are completely lost to what he's after because everything can be summed up in love God with all your heart and love other people. God is a God of love. And if you do not know love, you do not know God. And it's not just doing all these actions. It's an inward, again, standing in his presence. I have to say these things. So Matt brought up an incredible point that when you strip away your religiosity, you get insecure and fearful. However, this is grace of God. And I would actually say it's the qualification to start getting in. Um, This has been coined by St. John of the Cross um, many, many, many moons ago um, about the dark night of the soul. And you'll hear this in different circles, depending on what kind of denominational camp you're in, if you will, or if you're just an open reader. But the dark night of the soul is a season, and you can have multiple seasons in your life where God strips away the outward securities of status, reputation. It could be money. It could just be your religious parent, whatever. I don't know. God has a, a unique season for everybody to get at their heart, but it's a time of stripping. It's a time of isolation. It's a time for God to get rid of the externality so he can bring you into an inward, true foundation of faith and relationship with him and him alone that brings a security, a foundation on Christ that is unshakable. So when people come at you and question your theology, when people come at you and question your relationship with God or challenge the notion that God's not real and all this stuff, it's ludicrous to you. It's hilarious. In fact, you embrace the pushing back on, on, on doctrine because you know that it's, it's all summed up in Christ and we all see through a mirror dimly, you know, and you, you laugh at people that challenge the existence of God because you interact with them all the time and you're like, well, that's interesting, <laughs> you know, like all of these things. But you also see in scripture that the dark night of the soul, a season of isolation, is, is in every single, um, every single figure in Chris, in, in literate, in, bleh, in scripture has one of these seasons. Moses had it. Jesus had it. Jeremiah had it. Ezekiel, Paul had it. Everyone has these seasons where God pulled them away, whether it was they were imprisoned, they were in a desert, they were just alone, like whatever. God uses this to get to our hearts. And so if God is challenging you or you seem like you're disconnecting from the fold and you don't know what's going on, God, I praise God because I believe, and it could be if you cooperate with him, that he's calling you into this. And so a lot of people will think I'm seeing more of my sin. I'm seeing more of this issue or I'm not relating or connecting like I used to. I would just say, God might be calling you upward and in. Matt, did you have something to say on that? It looked like yeah it it might be the most helpful interpretational tool for us is recognizing that when God creates leanness, he's not unloving, and leanness is when you really can gain strength uh, dan you're a you're a fitness you're a fitness guy, you know there's a place where if all you do is pig out and never work out, you've got a certain result for your body. Sure. <laughs> but there is a place, you know, I, we did some hunting this year, and we hunted the deer and everything. Those deer are fast. They are quick. And they have, you know, when you're processing out and you're getting your beef jerky or whatever, these things are lean machines. They are made to run. 
but they're on a diet that is considered lean. Not a pig. You know, we also processed a pig this year. Not very lean, man, but the bacon was good, you know? Sure. <laughs> but they're not very fat. Yeah. And and there is, like, when we get fat in our religiousness, fat in the everything's great, fat in the um, there's nothing God needs to correct about me, when we get fat about we're doing everything perfect, we're doing everything right, that's that's actually a really dangerous posture to be in when what we would really rather know is god what does it mean to become complete in christ and and this might be the best time to pull out james 1 right consider it joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance and that endurance endurance has its perfect result so that you can be perfect and complete lacking in nothing that's god's goal for us the spiritual christian is is aware that the goal that God has for them is to be lacking in nothing. Therefore, every region of their soul, body, and spirit needs to be exercised, tested, and put through trial. And they must endure the distance of those trials in order to have every part of them brought into completion in Christ. And when I partner with God on that journey, then suddenly, suddenly, uh, Proverbs makes sense. You know, correction is the way of life. Correction is the way of life. And, and finding out, oh man, I've got some religiousness. And, and, uh, instead of defending it, it's like, amen, mm-hmm. let's get rid of it. <clears throat> yeah. Holy Spirit, come transform that. Do a crucifixion on my soul. The religiousness in me is, is, going to invalidate me from all the compl- the blessings of completion. And so suddenly we become a partner with the spirit to say, you know, search out the religious nature in me. Yeah. I know it's in there. And especially if we've never confronted it once, uh, it's in there. Yeah. There's a, yeah, this brings up a really important uh, contrast between the religious and the spiritual Christian. And again, we're advocating that these people are, are after God. It's just there's hiccups that we need to go along the way. Um, there's the posture of the religious Christian. And you have, uh, this is one, what is this, like Jesus's, one of his sayings where he's like, you know, there's one, there's the religious man that comes before the altar and he says, God, thank you so much that I'm not like the sinner back here. And then there's the sinner saying, God, please forgive me. Um so the spiritual Christian is not someone who repents less and less because they're figuring everything out. Actually, the spiritual Christian is someone who repents more and more versus the religious Christian is the one that repents less and less because they think that they're figuring it out. So I would say, if you think that you're figuring it out and if you just in your own mind is you're just like, yeah, I'm good. Like I'm pretty good. And I don't know. I'm just faithful. I would caution you to say that is the religious spirit because the spiritual spirit is the one that says, God, I am a mess. I am an absolute mess and I need your grace every day. The only reason I can stand here is your grace. And again, we can say this because we've been taught it theologically, but to, I mean, to experience it and believe it and to feel it within your very bones, your innermost being to be convinced of this. That's the hard posture. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, if I'm looking at just my works, 
mm-hmm. if I'm just going to analyze my works and say, well, where does God need to bring the correction that would produce the fruitfulness of Christ? If I'm just looking at my works, the religious Christian will look at his works and feel validated because they're busy, because they're engaged, because they have this thing. Well, I talk to so-and-so, I lead this thing. God moved through me the other day. And he absolutely probably did because he's gracious to minister to his sheep. So, but we're talking not about works. We're talking about nature, nature. So we're asking God to come in and address my nature in compared to his nature. And it should be a quick, easy, yes, Lord, my nature is not yet your nature. <laughs> and so works can become the very tool that, that binds me to my flesh, to my soul, to my nature, to me, to human. Because works can become very uh, heady and validating. But to move it into, but what about the nature change? And that's the whole argument in Galatians and Romans, is there's a nature in the Holy Spirit that we want to walk with. And the fruit of that nature is the nine fruit of the Spirit and the other things that he says. Whereas I'm still looking at my deeds of religious activity and the Holy Spirit is saying, and I'm still testing you for sincere love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or, or whatever, you know. You didn't actually have self-control. You just ramrodded people with religious words of, of the Bible. You know, that's a lot of my sins that I've had to confess is um, when you get knowledge and you turn it into a battering ram. Well, where was the self-control, kindness, and gentleness there, huh? Well, if there was no fruit of the Spirit, then what exactly did you think you did for God, even if you were right? And and so on, right? Yeah, works are a deceitful, uh, a, a real deceit. I um, had a friend a very long time ago, you know, um, and they grew up, you know, virgin until marriage, never smoked a cigarette, never did anything wrong, always in church, really just a straight A student, just did the right thing all the time. And they mentioned that they really struggle understanding grace. They're like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I'm a good, I'm, I did all the right things. Like, and they almost feel owed, like, you know, and they, they were confessing this. I'm not saying it was like, this was a confession. They're like, man, like, I don't know. Like, just, I really struggle with it. Like, you know, what else do I need to do? God, I do all the right. I'm in the Bible studies. I'm a leader in church and, and uh, I've never done the wrong way versus me. Uh, I grew up in the church, but I was a prodigal. So sex, drugs, and rock and roll defined my life for too long. And by God's grace, he pulled me out of that. But it, it's not a hard thing for me to grasp grace. Um, that's not to say I don't wrestle with religious spirit. Um, my wife and I were going to go overseas to Eastern Europe to be missionaries, and we had to pull back because of a, a tragic loss in the family. Um, and when we looked back, at the time, that was the beginning of the dark night of our soul. Whoa, nine years ago, holy cow, it popped every bubble <laughs> we were living in. We had our best. I mean, I just was like, I went from good to great from the time I was converted. Just It was just this rapid escalation in church and, and grew in favor with God and men kind of thing. And I'm on stages and I'm doing that. I'm going overseas. It's, this is like the pinnacle of what every Christian is supposed to be, right? It's like, I'm going to be a missionary overseas. I'm so godly and spiritual. And then this popped and our identity was crushed because our identity was, well, you're a missionary. Like we're missionaries. What are we if we're not missionaries? I can't tell you how hard it was to be a missionary and then to not go and then to 
not connect with anybody else because they didn't know how to minister to the minister. And, and now when my wife and I look back at that, we are so grateful that we didn't go. Not because I don't think God could have done great things, but because we had, in our opinion, an incomplete gospel. And we were trained by the greats. Let me just say, we were trained by the greats. And we had an incomplete gospel. And God completed that through actually Mr. Matthew Enns, which was a big, my, my co-host here, who was a big part of, of ex- exposing the, the religiosity and the need for life to get off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to get on the tree of life. And it was when that got brought up of Daniel, feast on the life of Christ and allow that to fill you. That's like, holy cow, like, I know this, but I don't know this. Why don't I know this? I was about to go overseas and tell people about this. And I'm just, and it, okay. And here's the point that I need to make. So again, cultural, carnal, religious, all here pursuing spiritual, but holy cow, have I wrestled and am I wrestling with all these things? But this isn't elitism. Okay, guys, the old and the new. When I got saved, I had an encounter with God. I was smoking a joint on my rooftop, and I had the most sincere prayer ever in my life, and God hit me in that moment, and he revealed himself in a profound way, and that's a story for another time, and I was a spiritual Christian, day one, smelling like pot, okay, spiritual Christian, threw away everything the next day, I was on fire for the Lord. And then someone operating in a religious spirit, maybe a year later, said a very hurtful word. They said, Daniel, stop being so radical about your faith and stop sharing your testimony and stop evangelizing because you haven't been to seminary and you could unintentionally um, blaspheme the name of God. So slow down, go to school, then minister. I believed them at that time. And I don't even know who this person was. I don't remember their name. I don't know if it was a boy or girl. I just remember the conversation because it shifted me. I went, oh, well, the last thing I want to do is blaspheme the name of God. So I'm going to pull back. And I didn't completely, but I did in a lot of ways. And boom, religious spirit came on to me. And here I am. Okay, I got to be religious. I got to blah, blah, blah. I got to do all things. I got to slow. That was the most hurtful thing that could have ever been said to me. And then I got into the religious thing. But I began as a spiritual Christian, like what Paul says in Galatians, like beginning in the spirit, you're now trying to perfect yourself in the flesh. And that's what this demonic spirit tried to do through a lie. And I've said before, spiritual warfare are strongholds of systems of belief. There was a system of belief that got deposited in my brain that I believed. And God had to break me out of that. So you could be an old or a new Christian. You could be a religious Christian your whole life, carnal Christian your whole life, and then boom, pursue the spiritual thing. Like with the thief on the cross, boom, spiritual Christian. I believe you. <laughs> you know, and he that day he was in paradise. Or you could be 90 years old and for the first time, like, oh gosh, I repent and become a spiritual Christian. But be very infant in your understanding and knowledge and ability to walk it out. So again, this isn't elitism. This is a posture of heart. This is a position and a place of which you're operating from. This is a resetting of divine order. You're not operating from the flesh, carnal people. You're not operating from the soul, religious. You're operating from the spirit, Christ. Okay? It's a place of which you are living your life from. And you know carnal Christians, or not carnal Christians, you know carnal people. Very basic, drunk every night, movies, can't have a deep conversation. They are they just do whatever feels good to their body. Then you have the very refined, upheld, diligent, solical people that are focused on perfecting all of that. 
And then again, the spiritual, which is an inward way that says, God, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to the flesh. I'm going to die to my soul. So now we've got rid of good and evil. I'm going to get off that tree completely and I'm going to feast on the life of Christ, a tree of life. And through not a suppressed soul, not a, uh, yeah, not an annihilate, not a suppressed and not an annihilated soul. Okay. God is not obliterating your personality. He created your personality. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be sanctified, but he created it. So he's not looking to annihilate you and he's not looking to suppress you. He wants to have you surrendered and yielded to his lordship and not yours. And it's not you working for him, which is religion. It's him working through you, which is Christ and spirituality. And it's from the spirit, yielded soul, his life coming through you as you engage with this world so that he can touch this world by your inward communion with him. Holy cow, Matt, we're at 54 minutes. We haven't even touched spiritual Christian. Are we doing a part four or do we just want to skim through and start getting some scriptures? <laughs> Holy cow. No, it's just, this is really, really important differentiation that's going on here. So critical. We're not really going to be able to, to really, it, it's, it's the opposites that help define the real thing in so many ways. Yeah. Not, it doesn't give us the full definition. It tells you what's not. But I think what we can do, Dan, this morning is we can talk about, uh, on the nature of the spiritual Christian, that there is such a thing as spiritual Christian with a little s. Yeah. Where we have given ourselves over to the uh, spirit movement, the spirit culture, and yet it's still flesh. <laughs> oh, do we want to get yeah. into that one? <laughs> oh, Matt, that's such a... It's such a big topic. So, okay, I'm just going to say it. I really thought we were going to finish this in three parts. There will be another episode. <laughs> Look for it. We'll la we'll label it. Uh, well, then gosh. that might be our best segue, and we can sign off for today. But well, I want to. I want to at least because we we. I mean, we shared a lot of scripture, but we only shared one that we had listed. I want to remind you that if you if you do decide to support this ministry and join Patreon, these notes will be on the Patreon. You can download them, and you can see all the scriptures we haven't even touched that affirm. Yeah, all these things. Yeah. Oh God! But I think okay. we hit a lot of the really important religious Christian dynamics. No, it's and I think we gave enough differentiation to. Yeah, and, and really, you know who helps discern it? We know who the answer is. Only Christ is qualified for Christianity. Yeah. And so he's the only one who's qualified to offer an input. And the yeah. humble soul who says, Spirit of Christ, teach me, show me what's going on. Yeah. He, he will, he will be faithful to. Yeah. Since we're talking about the religious Christian and it's, and we have talked about how it contrasts with the spiritual. And, and I think we're seeing that. Um, but again, if we're operating from our soul, you're going to be offended by spiritual language because the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. Right. Um, and so again, the religious spirit is going to find all of the theological loopholes and all the doctrinal issues with what we're saying. You're saying these scriptures, what about these? You're going to get into all the things we're saved or once we're saved, blah, 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 blah. you're going to get into all the things. Um, the more offended you are with what we're sharing, well, I don't want to say that because I don't want to say like we're, we got this. No, no, no. 
the more offended you are when somebody shares biblical scripture or challenges religiosity, I would say that is a carnal, fleshly response. Because the spiritual Christian, I'm not saying we, the spiritual Christian, like we said, goes from repentance, repentance, repentance versus away from repentance. So if we're challenging repentance and you push against that, or you say, I'm already got enough. And what you're saying, I need something more. I already do all these. That's a religious spirit. Spiritual Christian says, Oh God, like Matt and your little, even though you did it in piety at first, and then God kind of interrupted you in that cab. Like it was the, okay, well, God, what do you want to show me? Right. We need to have open hands um, to this, but I really want to end with more scripture. I'm just going to read. I think we just need to read these. And again, there's going to, they're going to be on the Patreon. I need you to be utterly convinced that the scriptures were written to break people out of their religion. The carnal and the cultural, once they see Christ, they honestly just flip. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? Jesus is healing people. People are repenting and coming to faith. And then the disciples say, hey, can we go talk to the Pharisees? He says, what? Let them alone. They're the blind leading the blind. He didn't even go to the Pharisees because he knew that they weren't going to. Why? Because they were religious. He knew they weren't going to repent. He goes, they're not going to repent. They're going to crucify me, actually. The prophets and the priests who do not stand in my presence don't hear my voice that are leading the people won't hear me, but the sheep will. Do you, so I need, I need you guys to hear this. If you're a Christian, if you're a pastor, if you're anything, this is talking to you. And this is the reason why we're saying this is because Matt and I have already been confronted with this. We've already been exposed. We've already had to go through the beginning of repentance, we're still in the process of repentance, but we were bombarded with this. We were burdened. We were broken by this. This was revealed in us, but it was only when we said, it. God had to shut down our overseas missions trip, and that's when it got exposed. Do you guys understand the extent that God has to go through to get to the heart of a religious person? Because he wants all of us, because it's so deceitful. So I guess if you hear anything, you need to Stop and wrestle with God of God, am I not being led by your spirit? Ask that. God, am I, am I operating from a religious spirit or am I operating from a Christ-led spirit? I would say that that answer will always be yes. There's probably parts of you that are being spirit-led and there's probably parts of you that are being very religious. There's mixture in all of us. And the difference is the commitment to crucify, pick up the cross and say, I want anything that is going to burn when I stand before Christ to be gone. I am committed and I live my life for the sole purpose of standing before him and hearing well done and not presuming or assuming that it's already finished. You are not finished. We are being finished. So please hear this wrestle with this. Don't get offended or get offended. I don't care, but pursue this and question. Think upon your own thinking, which what Dallas Willard, I think, said is the definition of repentance. Think upon your own thinking. Question your confidence. Okay? I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're quote-unquote spirit-filled, tongue-speaking prophet. I don't care. Question. Because Mm, you already touched on this earlier, Matt. The enemy and your soul counterfeit spirituality. And this is the danger. Gifts are given. And, and we often are deceived 
and and seeing God move through us. Because here's the thing. God's not opposed to himself. God will use cults to proclaim his truth to certain people. People will come to faith or grow in their faith. God called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. I mean, come on. <laughs> like That guy enslaved and, you know, like the Jews. But he was God's servant. God will use anyone to do his purpose. And so when we're walking and we were in, we're, we got filled with the spirit and, or God's, you know, we're ministering to people and they're coming up to life or, you know, we have these moments of prayer that are sweet. There's moments and there's pockets that are beautiful, but don't assume that everything's gravy just because there's good little deposits along the road or because you're gifted. You could be a deeply broken individual and have gifts. Non-believers can have gifts that might pop your bubble paradigm, but it's true. Okay. The Antichrist will have a lot of gifts. The Antichrist will do all kinds of miracles. Okay. It's not the gifts, gifts and effectiveness. When I say effectiveness, I mean external, like someone came to faith, like, you know, all of these emotional, the people were moved by my sermon, like whatever. You could be quote unquote effective. I would say there's little spiritual significance, although God will do what he wants to do in people. But guys, all of that is a deception to, to get you to be passive and think that you've already arrived. You guys, religious spirit, please, and share what you need to share. And let's, let's end with just reading some of these scriptures so that you are convinced the entire Bible is poking at everyone is religious and you're getting it wrong. Prophets and priests, you don't even stand in my presence. Get to me. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, good. it's good. It's good. Good to be doing. Very clear about. It. And I, I, I'm just building on that to say, the spirit brings conviction. The devil brings condemnation. Amen. Well said. If, if we can't get that put out here at this very important point, if I'm if I'm going to ask God, you know, come and correct me and teach me and show me and all this stuff, condemnation means I found out something about myself and I'm now hopeless and I'm I'm, I'm toast and. God doesn't love me, and <clears throat> everything you're saying just makes me feel more and more condemned, Dan, or Matt, or whatever. And and that spirit of condemnation um, is a strategy to keep you from, keep us from, walking into the value of the light that got shown on us. But when the light shines on me, the Holy Spirit wants to give me a spirit of conviction that says, Oh, I want to move from a spirit of religion to the spirit of the spirit of Christ. And that conviction urges me to run swiftly to my heavenly father, who I love and who loves me and be validated as a son receiving his holiness, Hebrews 12, and be able to enter into all the blessings of it. And condemnation makes me move away from um, the light it makes me move away from this kind of teaching and talk because it's too hard for me or they're just being too they're being too direct or whatever. And that condemnation spirit is a demonic voice and it is designed to keep us from the value of Christ. That's great. That's really good. Okay. Um, we're gonna read some of these scriptures, not all of them, and then if you, and then we'll have the, the fourth part, the spiritual Christian, and that'll be a riveting conversation since I guess we get to only emphasize that, which will be great. Um, Ezekiel thirty three twenty one, And they came 
to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. Now, when I read that, I didn't write this down, but bells go off in my brain in James where there is selfish ambition. There is every evil thing. I tell my kids this all the time. What is the opposite of love? It's not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. Please hear that. Selfish ambition and self-preservation, which any psychologist will tell you, self-preservation is the number one primal drive for every human being. Your desire to stay alive, which is a key to get to the eternal life. But what we do is we substitute it for ambition, selfish ambition. Why? Because the more stuff I have, the more power I have, the more provision I have, the more my life is secure. And why do I want my life to be secure? Because I want to survive. They're set on their gain. This is a person that is not walking in love. This is a person that is walking in selfishness, which is pride. And one of the reasons why so much of our religious spirit in America ha is not being exposed for what it is as the evil that it is, as the lack of regenerated hearts as it produces is because we're prosperous. Why am I saying that? Because when we're prosperous, we're secure and your evil nature is not your, self, your desire for self-preservation that'll show you how truly ugly you are isn't being exposed because it's not being threatened. That's why you'll hear missionaries or certain people say like, man, once persecution comes, it's really going to divide. Show people who are really legitimate. Why? It's going to show who are just preserving their own life. And that's why they even came to faith because they're afraid and they need their get out of jail free card, get out of hell free card with Jesus. But their hearts are unchanged. You start pulling back food. You start imprisoning people for praying. You start doing any of these things. And you start to see what's at the heart of people who are walking in self-preservation, selfish ambition, or who are walking in love and laying down their lives daily so that Christ can have what he's after and that other people can live. Because that is the heart of Christ. No greater love than this than he who lays down his life for his friends. We are The spiritual Christian is, a, is the Christian who is dying to themselves daily and being manifested in love. Okay? Uh, Matt, why don't you read Matthew, Matthew 7, since it's your name. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. I'll let you have that one. <laughs> Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, this is a this, this passage does get talked about some. It needs to be talked about some. It is good to point out, you know, I never knew you is the 
phrase that Jesus uses to differentiate who is kingdom ready and who is not. Who, well, but God, you know everybody. Um, the reality is, when he says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, you know, the will of the Father is centered around the Son. And if there's one thing that we have lost in Christianity over 2,000 years, it's just how important the will of the Father is the Son. It's the Son. But Matt, we're always talking about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. Yeah, I know there's a lot of substitutes. The word can be used, Jesus. The name can be used anywhere and everywhere. But the will of the Father is that the Son be given his full radiance because the exact representation of the Father is in the Son. We'll connect the dots because it says it says that didn't we do all this in your name? So connect the dots there. Yeah. 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 That the idea that I can now just take um well it happened with uh Paul, he was out casting out demons. Some other people heard about the casting out of demons in the name of Jesus. They then went the seven sons of Sceva to cast out a demon in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. And it's the demons who said, we know Paul, Mm. we know Jesus, we don't know you. Okay? Interesting. We are in a spot, and even though it says we cast out demons in your name, there's this concept where I become one with the name. I'm not sure if we ever catch this in Matthew 28, but the the, uh, preposition used in Matthew 28 is don't baptize them in the name. It's baptized them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a nature union. There's a nature bonding that you get brought to the man of heaven. And when you get brought into him and you come out of death with him, there is a knowing, right? The knowing concept in Scripture has different words, and some of it's data knowledge and some of it's relational knowledge. Well, guess which one is being discussed here? Relational knowledge. And there's no substitute in the Trinity for relationship. There's no substitute for relationship. And works are a feeble substitute for relationship. Everything about this thing is screaming, get yourself some Jesus. Amen. That's beautiful. There's more we could say, and we will say more because we're going to keep recording every week. Um, but we want to thank you for tuning in. Again, if you want these show notes and these scriptures, um, that'll be available to everyone that subscribes to our Patreon. Um, please, again, like and subscribe, smash, hit, pound, whatever you do to that button. That helps us out. Make sure that you get this content. You guys, if you're not already aware, um, this whole ministry is a forerunner ministry. This, uh built to restore the eternal purpose of God, which we do believe in many ways has been lost, even though it should have never been lost. Um, this is not new. This is ancient as ancient could ever be. This is the goal of what God is after. And most of us think that salvation is the end goal of God. And I would say that salvation is the on-ramp back into the original intention of what God created you for. And most of us don't understand what that means, nor know how to apply the implications and the applications of that. And that's what this ministry is built on. We believe Jesus is coming. We don't want anyone to shrink back in fear. We want them to accurately handle the word of God so that they can stand approved at his coming. We don't want people's works 
to burn, which is the biggest thing for the religious Christian is a lot of what they're doing is going to burn First uh, Corinthians 3. We want people to build with precious metals, which is being led by the Spirit, who are the true sons of God. We want you to be a bride made ready for the return of Jesus Christ, that he may say, well done, my good and, uh, my good and faithful servant. Okay? That is our heart and cry of why we want you to subscribe, why you want to be a part of this. This is a journey that we are on. We have not arrived, but we forget what lies behind. We're pressing on to what lies ahead, the world behind us, the cross before us, okay? And um, yeah, and we want you to join us because this we want to give Jesus everything his heart is after. And so if you are desiring kind of the deeper Christian life, as many authors have said before, um, again, Please continue to join us. If you want the last part of this, The Spiritual Christian, we're going to link that here. Um, and if you've missed the other ones, the first video, which was Misconceptions on the Four Christians, the second video, which we talked about cultural and carnal Christians, this video talking about the religious, and then this fourth Christian, apparently a fourth video, on uh, what it means to be a spiritual Christian. Thanks again for sticking around. We'll see you soon.